Right, good morning. This morning's scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is the word of the Lord. So I've mentioned before, but um, I want to mention again um, how important the word of God is to me when I, when I stand up here to preach. Um, in spite of what some might criticize me for, I don't look for a text that reinforces what I want to say. I look for a text, and then I try to determine what it says. Um, In terms of like our series that we're in, these series are planned out way in advance. I know for sure what the topic's going to be. I wrestle with that topic and that passage all week long. So, for instance, um, I study the passage and commentaries and stuff like that, but also I just take the passage and it just rolls around in my head all throughout the week. It just, it's just there, churning. So even when I'm doing other things, that passage is up there rolling around, and I'm trying to shape it. Um, I've said before, I think, that some of my best thoughts about the passage come when I'm mowing my grass. Um, something about that sort of labyrinth of going back and forth and back and forth. And I'm just thinking about the passage, and, and that's on Friday, so you can see how late the sermon develops. Um, but no matter, <laughs> that's the way I approach passages. I don't approach them thinking about what I want to say. Honestly, I don't. On this occasion, it's really interesting because this is one of those occasions where I could cite the passage, as Bill just read it, and I could say anything, for the most part, that I wanted without contradicting the passage about Enoch, I mean. Now, why do I say that? That's kind of an outrageous statement, right? Why do I say that? Because we don't know hardly anything about Enoch. We got nothing to go on. We just have a statement about Enoch, right? So there's not a lot of material here. So I'll tell you up front, when I'm looking at this passage all throughout the week, I'm going all over the place to find material on Enoch, and it doesn't exist. There's no Enoch material out there, okay? It's just Enoch's out there, and you're supposed to come up with something. So when I looked at Enoch, I came up with this. For better or for worse, this is what we got. First thing is this. Let me remind you of the narrative, and I put that in quotation marks, about Enoch. Because there really isn't a narrative about Enoch. There's like no story about Enoch. It's just a couple of lines. They appear in Hebrews chapter 11, just read, and they appear in Genesis chapter 5. 
Now, the reason we didn't read Genesis chapter 5 is because it basically repeats what Hebrews chapter 11 said. There just isn't any more material, okay? What do we know about Enoch? First time we encounter him, he's in a long list of genealogies about a whole bunch of other people. They're antediluvian people. You know what that means? Before the flood, okay? Way, way back. These people in this antediluvian genealogy live a long time. I mean like six, five, ten, not ten, nine hundred years. They live a long time. And we look at that and we think, really? Is that possible? Well, I guess it is possible. But sometimes we look at the text and we wonder, did they calculate years differently so that the number seems larger? That may be true too, but we don't have any evidence of it. We just don't know. All we know is that these dudes lived a long time, okay? A really long time. And one of them was named Enoch. And according to the text, however you calculate the years, he had a son at age 65. A son at age 65. Does anybody know what the name of the son was? Shout it out if you do. Methuselah. And Enoch is linked to his son famously, even though Enoch passed away before his son, because Methuselah, according to the record, is the oldest man to ever live. And according to this genealogy, Methuselah lived to be 969 years. I don't want to live past 80, much less 969, right? This guy was old. Now, Enoch himself was really kind of advanced in years too, right? He had a child of 65, and according to the genealogy, he lived for 365 years. So he was kind of old. And the other thing we know about Enoch is that he walked with God, and he was no more. Which seems to indicate, according to Hebrews, though it doesn't say it exactly in Genesis 5, he walked with God, he was no more, because he didn't experience death, he just walked into the presence of God. So now, you know what? You are all experts on Enoch. Nobody knows more about Enoch than you do, because that's all there is to know. (laughs) So you can see why, when I approach this text, I'm saying to myself, what in the world am I going to talk about? I need some more material here. But really we don't, because the material that surrounds the passage in Genesis, I mean Genesis and Hebrews 11, that's the material that's germane. That's what we need to know about Enoch, not the particulars. So what do we know about Enoch and his life and what the writer of the book of Hebrews wants to tell us? Uh, First thing I want to answer out front is a question that you might have to your, be asking yourself. You may be saying to yourself, is this unprecedented? These like people not dying and just going home to be with God? The answer is both yes and no. At this point, it was unprecedented according to the biblical text. We don't have any record of anybody up until Enoch who ever just walked with God and was no more. On the other hand, much later, further out in Israel's history, we do have another record. So it's not unprecedented that way, right, in terms of the biblical text, because Elijah did the same thing. 
He walked with God. In this situation, we have a lot more detail to it. It's a fun story. Elisha wants to be with Elijah when Elijah passes on to be with God. And he says, when you pass on, I want you to give me your cloak, basically. Give me the mantle of your blessing. And Elijah says, I'll do that for you. And Elijah and Elisha are walking along, and a chariot from heaven comes and separates them, and Elijah goes up into heaven, and Elisha's left behind, and Elijah throws his cloak to Elisha, and boom, you got the story. There's another story of someone who walked with God and didn't die. But that's it, only two. So first, it is sort of unprecedented, but sort of not. We have one other account. Here's another set of questions related to this story. Why is Enoch chosen as a person of faith in Hebrews chapter 11? Because we really don't have that much information, right? We don't know hardly anything about his life. Why did the writer of the book of Hebrews choose him knowing that we don't know? Why did he choose him? Well, the first thing to say is Enoch, I don't think, was chosen because he was perfect. And, correlatively, Enoch didn't not die because he was perfect. That's said nowhere. It doesn't say that Enoch was a perfect man. Again, according to the record, we only know of one. You know who that is, who never sinned, and that was Jesus. So the reason Enoch does not die and just goes to be with the Lord is not because he was perfect. We know for sure that the reason that Elijah went to be with the Lord without death was not because he was perfect. We got the record of Elijah, and that man wasn't perfect, but God took him. So it's not because Enoch was perfect. Let's put that one aside. The second thing to say is this. Why did God take him? And why is he a person of faith? This is like what you used to say to your kids, except you would use your own name. You would say daddy or mommy, because God said so. Because God decided to take Enoch. And he didn't have to give a reason. He actually didn't really give a reason for Elijah either. He just did it. What's the point, Bob, you're saying? What I'm saying is we got to remember something when we study the Scripture. First of all, we don't have all the answers. Second of all, we got to remember always that God is sovereign. And I know this word has bad overtones to it, but don't take it that way. The only reason this word is bad and has bad overtones is because of sinful conditions of a human heart. God is what you might call arbitrary, Right? Arbitrary, for the most part, means making a decision that someone doesn't understand and doesn't really have any rationale behind it that you can understand. It means the person just arbitrarily makes a decision. God has the freedom as the sovereign God of the universe to decide to make a decision. So God decided Enoch wasn't going to die, and neither was Elijah. I could spend more time on that, but I won't. I would suggest that whenever you come across difficult theological themes or passages that you don't understand, and the activity of God that doesn't make any sense to you, that instead of being defiant 
against God's decision, you utter these words, I will let God be God. Because he can. Or if you want a definition of sovereignty, just a shorthand definition of sovereignty, it's my favorite because it's mine. <laughs> sovereignty is the absolute freedom of God to do what God wills. So God decided Enoch was not going to die. The final thing I want to say about this unprecedented walking with God and not dying is this. What we see in the life of Enoch, as small as it is, is basically this. He simply walked in unbroken fellowship with God. Again, he did not walk perfectly. None of us do. But he walked in unbroken fellowship with God. He just would not stop. His highest objective and his entire life was to be right beside God. The reality he lived in was the presence of God. Everything about his waking and sleeping was about God. It was fellowship, unbroken fellowship with God. And it's as though while he's in that unbroken fellowship, even when he fails, he gets up and walks again, that somewhere along the way, God just said, let's keep walking and go home. Is that a beautiful picture of what? Is there anything better as a picture of discipleship than that? He just walked with God, and he walked into his presence. When I think of fellowship with God and walking with God, I think of the Garden of Eden. Now, I know there are other themes in the Garden of Eden, really important ones, like no sin and no death and, and sin that entered the Garden and all those kind of things. But you know the image that stands out to me the most in the Garden of Eden? By far? Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the garden and talking to God as a person talks to his friend. And then in Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters the story, here's what you hear. When Adam would otherwise have been walking with God, sort of at the end of the day, he disappears and he hides from God because he knows he's sinned. And fellowship is broken. Walking with God is interrupted by sin. Now again, I'm sure Enoch sinned, but he refused to hide. When you think about walking with God as a person walks with a friend, what do you think of? Well, I think of... Um, Communication, for one. I think, you know, I, we can't do it, but I think if my wife and I had the ability to set our schedule so that it would work, it won't. At the end of every day, we would walk together. Because when we walk, we talk. 
when we communicate. You ever see friends walking together and not talking? Well, that might be kind of odd. Maybe there's a dispute. Maybe nobody wants to say it. But usually, when friends walk together, they communicate. So when I think of a friend and unbroken fellowship, and I think of walking with God, I think of that. That in effect, walking with God means speaking to God as if He were your friend. You might say to yourself, how can I have the life that Enoch had? (laughs) Well, begin with communication. Begin by walking with God and talking to God. As a friend talks to a friend. How about tomorrow at your desk or behind the counter or outside working or whatever you're doing? How about if tomorrow, don't talk out loud because people think you're crazy, but how about tomorrow (laughs) when you're just doing your work, you talk to God? Even if it's just for a second, just remind yourself that your Lord Jesus Christ is right there with you and speak to him about everything. So I think of friend to friend, I think of communication. When I think of friend to friend, I think of knowledge. When you walk with a friend and you talk with a friend, you know them, don't you? When you walk with your husband or wife, you know them. Right after so many years of marriage, you know, you can finish each other's sentences. Um, You can predict what the other person is thinking by just the little turn of the lip. You, You know them, right? So a friend to friend, a, a conversation like Enoch had with God is the kind of conversation that's based on knowledge. You know that person. That means to study God. That's why the author of Hebrews said in the context of Enoch, what we need here, the author says, we need people who are diligently seeking God by faith. And they know that the diligent seeking of God by faith becomes a reward Namely, the presence of God. That's faith. So studying those scriptures and praying and and walking with God. Of course, there's another thing. It, It relates to direction, right? If you're walking with a friend, you're going the same place. You're walking together towards a place. Right now, I'm, I'm reading Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know, last time I read it, 40 years ago or something. I don't know how old I was when I was a kid. Uh, it was an abridged version, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But this is the unabridged version. and It's updated in language a little bit, so you don't have to, you know, work your way through the thicket of these and thous all the time. And it's, it's done very well. And you know what Pilgrim's Progress is about? Walking with God. That's it. Christian and faithful. They're walking with God. And other people, they turn away. They get distracted. They stop walking. But Christian, sinful as he is, he just keeps walking with God. And he walks to the celestial city because he refuses to stop. He has a destination, and he walks with God. So I used to run half marathons a lot, and I don't so much anymore, and that's a really sad story. I don't want to tell it because I may get all emotional. Um, 
But I'm not running half marathons anymore because of something. It's called getting old, I guess, whatever. Um, but I, I ran a lot of half marathons, and my favorite half marathon I ever ran actually was a half marathon I ran with my sister-in-law. And her name is Debbie. Okay? Now, what you might need to know about Debbie and our relationship, there's four girls in that family. My wife was one of four. Debbie is second in order. Um, Debbie is really annoying to me. I'm sorry, she is. I love her, but she's annoying. And she knows it, and I think she makes it worse because she knows she annoys me. And I annoy her, so we're always after each other, okay? It's like me and Debbie just like, I leave the other girls alone, but I can't leave Debbie alone. It's like the sister I never had, you know, that you would poke at. That's me and Debbie. So I said to Debbie, look, I run these, play, these half marathons in every state. I want to run one in Florida. How about the one in West Palm Beach? Would you like to run it with me? Of course, man, she jumped on that in a heartbeat because she runs them too. She said, oh, I'd love to do that. So we scheduled to run the half marathon. And it was in February. And if you've never been to Florida in February, you need to go leave shortly after that because it gets too hot. But in February, it's beautiful, right? And so we're running along the intercoastal waterway, just me and Debbie with all these other people. Now, here's something else you need to know about Debbie. Debbie never closes her mouth, okay? She talks incessantly. I mean, all the time. I think she talks in her sleep. She just talks nonstop. The second thing you need to know about Debbie is she's got a trumpet for a voice. Debbie could, could I mean, seriously, she could wipe out all your voices all on her own. She's just that piercing, right? even when she doesn't mean to be. That's just Debbie. So we're running this half marathon, and Debbie is talking constantly for 13.1 miles, never stopping. Now, she has to stop a few times to walk, so I'm happy to do that. It's a really slow pace for me, and I'm just really enjoying it. But Debbie's talking incessantly, and when the race is over, she says to the family, Bob just talked the whole time. And <laughs> And I'm saying, really? Who's going to believe this? I mean, you know the two of us. No matter. I know I talked. I talked the whole time, but I was responding to her because she was talking. And we talked the whole time. And somewhere along the way, it dawned on me what was happening. We were that annoying couple. Right? You, you have seen those if you've ever been in a race like that before. There's a, sometimes there's a group of them, and they're running together, and they're talking nonstop. And you're just like, i got to get past these annoying people who talk all the time. I'm in a race here. Stop talking. Right? That, that was us, constantly talking the whole way. One of the things that was fun about it was it was family. And that was fun. <laughs> Another thing that was fun about it, this is, we got down near the end, and uh, Debbie is like four foot ten. I mean, she's really small. And so my pace is a lot faster, even though I'm slow, and she's very little. And so I got down near the end. I said, hey, Debbie, I said, you want to go across the finish line fast? And she goes, yeah. So I grabbed her hand for about 75 yards, and I sprinted. 
And Debbie is hanging on for dear life. I mean, her feet are just going off the ground. She's trying to put them down as fast as she can. And I could only hear wheezing and just panning in the background. And I'm thinking she might have a heart attack. But she enjoyed it. And we crossed the finish line faster than she's ever crossed the finish line. And you know what? We did it together. And you know what? We had a destination. We knew where we were going. We talked the whole way. We knew each other well, and we finished the race. Now, here's the image, right? In Hebrews, Hebrews later on, the writer says, I want you to run the race with patience. I want you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the completer or the finisher of your faith. Fellowship with God is walking with God. It's communicating with God. It's knowing God. It's living in obedience to God. But my friends, the most profound thing about it to me, God is really there with us. Literally with us. So let's act like it. Let's have the faith to believe that he's there with you tomorrow. And let's have the faith to believe that he'll grab your hand and you'll finish the race together because he's faithful. That's the hope of the Christian. It's a hope that's indomitable. You can't defeat it because God is with you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you um, revealed yourself to us. We have your word. We know a lot about you. We know really all we need to know about you. But we long to know more. And that's a good thing. Um, we want to be those who, like the writer of the book of Hebrews says, diligently seek you because we know that in the diligent seeking of you, we find our reward. And, of course, our ultimate reward in your presence. But we also want to thank you, Lord, that you're not a God who just gave us enough information that we could study you like a book. You didn't say, here are my attributes. Figure them out. You came. You didn't stay out there. You, you came to be among us. You became, as the Scriptures say, God with us. And so when we look at the life of Jesus, we realize it's a picture. It's a picture of what our lives could be like. We can walk with you like the disciples did. We can watch you work and heal others and us like the disciples did. We can see miracles all around us like the disciples did. And we can live for you and walk with you in unbroken fellowship like the disciples did. Lord, on many days we feel like we're Peter. We just blow it. Completely blow it. And then when we do, we, we look back to you. And you're already looking at us.
That's because you're never going to leave us. You're never going to forsake us. You gave us that promise. So, Lord, help us to walk with you. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And may we live with you. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.